Welcome back. This is Stem Fatal, your Women in Science History podcast. Yeah. I'm your co-host, Emlyn, or I'm your co-host, Dr. Emlyn Gremlin. Oh, and I'm your, oh, I can make the same joke I made yesterday, your <laughs> cocoa host, hot cocoa host, it's getting Dr. Emma Dilemma. <laughs> it's a little Christmas humor. It's, it's very little. Uh, holiday, excuse me, holiday humor. <laughs> So this app's going to be a little weird. Already there. <laughs> we already recorded it, and the audio was seriously effed up. Yeah. And so we're recording it again, but I know what I know what the story is, so it's going to yeah. be hard to feign ignorance. So just bear with us. We're gonna Emma's going to retell the story, and I'm going to do something over here. And we'll all just try to pretend we're interested (laughs) (laughs) we're all just gonna pretend like it's a new thing it's new for you we'll pretend it's new for me yeah yes okay emlyn well who are we talking about today emma (laughs) well yesterday i told you a story about four little rabbits named flopsy mopsy Mm -hmm. cottontail and peter And today's Lady of the Hour not only created these characters in her famous book, The Tale of Peter Rabbit, but she was also an amazing scientific illustrator, naturalist, and an amateur mycologist. And her name... Wait, can I guess? Can I guess? (laughs) Um, Do you think you know? Do you think you can get it? Uh, I think maybe. All right. Try your best. Uh, Beatrix Potter. Yes, you got it somehow. You knew. Yes. <laughs> you knew. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to talk about Beatrix Potter, the fam's, famous children's book author, but um, less famous scientific illustrator naturalist. Okay. So, tell me everything. <laughs> tell you it all again. <laughs> <laughs> tell me it all again. I'm riveted. I'm wrapped. I'm enwrapped. Um, Okay, so Beatrix Potter, yet again, was born on July 28th in 1866 to a rich uh, household in West Brompton, a.k.a. London, I think, England. And yeah, her father... still don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I didn't look up anything, a.k.a. Okay, so here we go. Her father was a barrister. Yesterday I said, I think that means he's a lawyer, but I didn't look it up still. <laughs> still think it's a lawyer. Yeah. I'm just going to go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's see, they went on holiday a lot. Remember that? <laughs> they go mm-hmm. on a lot of holidays. So basically, uh, whenever it was warm out, they're going to the countryside, England, Scotland, pretty much that's all where they went all the places they went. They just go from one one to another, yeah. one holiday to the next. And when it wasn't warm outside, they would spend a bunch of time in their house in London, where Beatrix and her brother kept a bunch of pets, including long-eared bats, bunnies, lizards, rats, hedgehogs, etc. Some strange the bats pets. still is weird to me. Yeah. The bats are pretty weird. 
let's see, since they were pretty wealthy, the children were homeschooled and they had very little social interaction. So they would spend most of their time drawing, painting, and photographing these pets or just any animals, plants that they found in the wild. And Mm -hmm. as we discussed yesterday, sometimes they (laughs) stuffed their pets (laughs) so they could really get good drawings of them. But they didn't just stuff them, right? (laughs) No. But I (laughs) also chloroformed them. (laughs) I was going to leave that out, but you know, if it's worth bringing, (laughs) yes. Hey, it's burnt into my memory. I know. They sometimes chloroformed the pets. I'm hoping when they are old and frail and, yeah. you know, like... A uh, mercy killing. Exactly. Okay. So, throughout Beatrix's early years, she developed a love of nature and a penchant for drawing and describing nature. And as she grew older, these descriptions became more specific and detailed, and she would often use a microscope to help make her drawings more precise. Excellent. And she would also use the dead. <laughs> she could really get every angle of the animals since they were dead. Um, okay, sorry. I just think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Do you laugh every time you look in a microscope? You're like, I'm looking at all these angles of these dead animals. <laughs> no, because... They're smaller. I don't know. It's oh, okay. not. I don't laugh. I'm just like, wow. Are you imagining that she's like sticking a dead rabbit under a microscope? More like she's just checking out its underside. Like, <laughs> like you know its what I underside. Mean? <laughs> like you know, when you're just looking at a bunny and it's alive, you're not like you can't see all the angles. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. you get my drift. So once it's dead, you can really flip it over like get everything this get is making me extremely uncomfortable the way you're phrasing i'm just this. saying why else would you bother i don't <sighs> know yeah see <laughs> but also just its belly or something you know like get its armpits <laughs> something weird you can't just normally do okay uh <laughs> you can probably cut that out <laughs> So, yeah, in her early 20s, Beatrix began seeking out avenues for financial independence from her parents and found one way she could do this was to sell her drawings of animals to Christmas card publishers because they were pretty cute, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, those undersides of bunnies everybody wants to send (laughs) as a holiday card. Or the bat, the long-eared bats. (laughs) But this still didn't make her enough money for quite some time. So in the meantime, she just kind of busied herself with various hobbies. Around 1887, when she was 21 years old, Beatrix began sketching fungi and mushrooms. And, uh, you know, basically because she was fascinated by them, their Mm -hmm. color, um, their shape, and their diversity. And... Because she really wanted to make sure, after a while, she really wanted to make sure that she was getting all the details about them right. Yeah. So she sought out mentorship from her old postman, Charles McIntosh, (laughs) who ended up helping her make the drawings more detailed, precise, and scientific because uh, he had basically learned a lot about fungi in his postman days. (laughs) I guess. Because he was wandering around? Yeah, because he walked. Just exposed to a lot of mushrooms? Ugh. 
Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it. He just saw a lot of mushrooms because he was outside all the time. Yeah, exactly. He knew a lot about them. So he also knew the scientific names of them. So he helped her begin categorizing them. And they developed a collaboration by which he would send her mushrooms he found in the winter for her to draw in great detail because she was much better at drawing them than he was. Yeah. In the meantime, a friend of hers had a son who had become ill. And to help him feel better, she wrote him a little story about a bunny rabbit named Peter and his three sisters. Um, Yet she still would not be publishing to large audience for audiences for quite some time. Does Peter Rabbit, the story, have a lot of detailed descriptions of the underside of rabbits? <laughs> Look, I don't know that she actually ever looked at the underside underside. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, she could really get everything in detail. <laughs> Once they were dead and stuffed, right? Like, uh-huh, yep. Everything could mean their ears. I don't know. Like, <laughs> so she also began to develop a stronger interest in geology and paleontology, and she would go fossil hunting along the English coastlines and in various quarries while on holiday. Collecting, painting, photographing, or drawing a bunch of things like trilobite fossils, petrified wood, coral fossils, fish fossils, um, yeah, and even visiting places like Lyme Regis where Mary Annie found all her fossils. Just pretty cool. Just, I thought, I like that, just the overlap between them Mm -hmm. 200 years later or whatever. Maybe 100. Okay, I don't know. Okay, in the winters, she would spend a lot of time in London's Natural History Museum trying to learn more about names and classifications of pretty much everything natural, Um, but she was often frustrated by the classification systems there and could never quite get in with all those museum folk, you know, to never quite fit in. Eventually, she became interested in fungal reproduction and wanted to speak with a local scientist about some hypotheses hypotheses she had on the subject. So, her uncle, who was a well-known chemist, took her to the Kew Research Center to meet their well-known botanist. Where, awesome. Yeah, she showed her drawings to George Massey, who was at that time the head botanist. Um, and she also showed them to the scientific director and a few other peoples, peoples, a few other people. <laughs> they weren't. She went far and wide. Uh, yeah, they weren't super impressed, but they did give her a student ticket, which would allow her to come back to the research center and uh, study things there if she wanted to. Nice. And as she continued to work with the fungi, she realized that. Not only could she get them to germinate from spores, but also she hypothesized that they reproduce underground through what we know now are mycelium, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So yesterday... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yesterday (laughs) I mentioned that (laughs) those fairy rings that you see where there's a lot of mushrooms in a circle, they're propagating through mycelium yeah in that case at least supposedly i mean i have no idea if that's true but 
Probably. You can just add it to the <laughs> list of things we're not sure about. But I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's why it's circular, because they're coming out from a central point underground. Right, right. So it's like they could produce spores and, like, reproduce sexually, right? Mm-hmm. Or they can pr- reproduce clonally through this underground kind of just kind of budding off from their roots in a sense. She couldn't find a lot of research on this topic when in the books on fungi that she had, and she even got some books from Germany where they talked a little bit about how the fungi might be reproducing, but they didn't write anything about actually witnessing how they reproduce or studying it, just kind of hypothesize. Mm -hmm. So her uncle encouraged her to write up her observations in a formal scientific paper. Her observations of getting them to... To reproduce, yeah. Grow via, like, spores? Yeah. Okay. And with his help, uh, he helped her actually write it it in, you know, scientific language, right? Mm-hmm. She did just that. However, once it was finished, she presented it to the Q scientists with the following letter attached. Uh, my uncle sent me to ask you whether you would be kind enough to look at some of my fungus drawings, which he is interested in. I do not quite like to give the paper to Mr. Massey because I am afraid I have rather contradicted him. Uncle Harry is satisfied with my way of working, but we wish very much that someone would take it up at Q to try it if they do not believe my drawings. Mr. Massey took objection to my slides, but the things exist and will... Be all done by the Germans. It is rather long paper to ask you to be kind enough to read. So, um, yeah, so this letter was essentially like, Mr. Massey, the professional, is wrong. Well, I'm right. (laughs) The Germans are going to beat you. Yeah, and uh, if you can't do it, the Germans will. (laughs) So... This is a really weird way to be like, hey, do you mind reading this? (laughs) But he really believed in her, which is nice, at least. Yeah. And after this encounter, the Q director wrote a nasty letter to Beatrix's uncle, um, so rude that her uncle would not even let her see it, I guess. (laughs) That's uncalled for. Yeah. But he was so, you know, he believed in her so much that he told her she should present her work at the Linnaean Society, which is the Naturalist Society in England. So to refine her paper, she read through more literature, and she continued to draw her various experiments and prepare slides of different stages of development. And so with her uncle's help, she finished the new final paper, Germination of the Spores of the Agaricinae, in 1897, and it was presented at a society meeting by George Massey since she could not attend the meeting herself because she was a woman. She had brought him over to her side. Yeah, he believed pretty her much. After yeah. mm-hmm. some more documentation. Yeah, I think so. And I think it wasn't totally crazy what she was doing, like yeah. looking at the spores and like you know, I think it was pretty visual, and you could just be like, oh, yeah, there's so much to grow from the spores. <laughs> yeah. From what I can tell, like, it wasn't... And I'm sure there was... They had some, must have had some idea of this, like, someone else by this point. But um, mm-hmm. I think her drawings and her slides were much more detailed than mm-hmm. a lot of other 
other people at the po- at that point. Yeah, much more detailed evidence. Yeah. So Massey told her after that her paper was well received, but they that the Linnaean Society wanted her to work on it more before it could be published. Therefore, she withdrew the paper and continued to work on the drawings and slides for these fungi for the next one or two years, but never published it or went back to the so Lin- much Linnaean work society. cannot be published. Yeah. Um, so why she gave up is somewhat unclear. It seems like, I mean, she probably would have never been accepted into the Linnaean mm-hmm. society or scientific society just because she was a amateur probably because she was a woman and couldn't go to school or like mm-hmm. you know like i don't know how anyone expected women not to be amateurs when they couldn't get yeah, the same he- background you know yeah exactly right but there were also some some of her slides like needed work and needed perfecting but i think she probably could have done that and just uh was kind of like disheartened maybe by these interactions mm-hmm. It's a long time to work on one paper. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, almost a century later, the Linnaean, Linnaean Society actually apologized to Beatrix Potter for the way she was treated oh. posthumously. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, she's now recognized not only for being someone who makes some of the earliest observations of fungal reproduction via germination or mycelia, but she's also recognized for her many beautiful drawings of fungi that are used even today to identify species in England since she came across it's very cool. Yeah, so many rare species in her traveling and, you know, through her her work with Charles Mackintosh. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. It's a shame that she wasn't better received and right. got disheartened. Mhm. But I'm glad that she's now getting some respect. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you a bit about the rest of her life, which was yeah. sounded pretty good. <laughs> you know, good, 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 good. Yeah. So, after selling her Christmas cards on the side for some time, she finally became interested in publishing books and these little stories that she had been writing to friends' children for some time. And so, in 1902, she published her first book, *The Tale of Peter Rabbit*. And it was a pretty immediate success, um, so successful that she began creating merchandise like dolls, uh, other books, paintings, um, to go along with the tale. And those sold pretty rapidly as well. Nice. Um, And of course, you know, she wrote, I think, 28 books total, 28 I don't know if all of oh, them were children's books. Oh, I did not know books. that. That's a lot of books. Yeah, I think maybe 24 of them were children's books, something like that. Okay. And they were all pretty famous, and they're really cute. They're great Wait, books. Wait, were four of them, like, adult bunny I rabbit books? they were. <laughs> so only, only a few of them are bunny rabbits. Like, one of them's about a duck, and I think there's one about a frog. So she really, like... I think she just loved animals and loved writing little stories and imagining animals doing funny things. And uh-huh. you can kind of see that in her books, that combination of her love of nature and her big imagination. And let's see, she ended up buying a farm and she be- she was finally independently wealthy, which is something she'd wanted for a very long time. Don't we all? In her 
late 20s, I think. And so she bought a farm in the English countryside. She hired some men to come on and help manage the raising of livestock, like cows, sheep, and chicken. Nice. And eventually, um, she ended up buying another 20 acres across the way. And around that time, she married William Helis, who had been helping her manage her, her land, essentially, in property. I don't know what kind of... <laughs> he was like a property manager. Okay. Um, and he had been helping her for quite a few years. And they lived quite a qu- comfortable country life. Aww, I like that. Yeah. And she continued basically writing her books and buying land until her death in 1943, at which point she donated her 4,000 acres of land to the British Nat- Natural Trust. That's so much um, land. So that it, yeah, so that it would never be developed. That's very cool. And always be filled yeah. with mushrooms. And Exactly, yep. Yeah. Mushrooms and bunny rabbits. Mushrooms and bunny rabbits. And yeah, she died in 1943, and recently all of her fungal drawings, or a bunch of them, were published in the book Wayside and Woodland Fungi, if you want to take a look at some of her. You could probably just Google her drawings, too, but if people are prone to... Or prefer books. Yeah. <laughs> They're all in there. Nice. Yeah. No, I want. I definitely want to look at some of that art. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Awesome. That was great. I loved it yeah. the second time as well. <laughs> That's good. It, it was shorter, too. So they think that makes it, flew, it slightly it more manageable. It was succinct. Yeah. I'm, like, wondering if I should do this twice, usually. <laughs> I feel like it's probably... I should probably, like, read through my stories first before, <laughs> <laughs> like, a couple times, maybe, yeah. is what I'm thinking now. <laughs> I mean, we're running as fast as we can. Sometimes we got the time, sometimes we don't. That's true. We try our best, you guys, we do. honestly. We, guys, we try so hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should we work, work, work? Yeah. All right. This is a good one. I'm excited. I'm also excited to hear this again. <laughs> Alright, this is the Women Who Work section where we give shout-outs to badass ladies making history today. And this shout-out goes to a very young lady making history. <laughs> so her name is Adara Perez, and she's an 8-year-old girl from Panama City who, according to news sources has an IQ of 162, which is higher than so crazy. both Albert Einstein and Stephen Hawking. Right. Perez has Asperger's syndrome and was being bullied a lot in school. And so because of that, Sucks. she was getting depressed. And so her mother took her to therapy where they discovered mm-hmm. that she, well, they knew she was really smart at home. When they went to take her to therapy, they did an IQ test and found out that she had this extremely high IQ. Yeah. And so from that, they were able to put her into a different learning environment where she really thrived. And so she finished elementary school at five years old, middle school at six years old, and finished high school at eight years old. That's so crazy. I know. I can't. Can, like, <laughs> I mean, that's got to also be a little lonely. I'm not sure if she did it all. I couldn't. A lot of the news sources are in Spanish, so um, there's oh, not as yeah. many ones mm-hmm. that have been translated. Yeah. So I don't know if she is being homeschooled or online or if she's going to a school where she's just going that fast, but yeah, she's currently, I, I would, um, no, go ahead. 
it might be hard for like, I can't imagine being eight years old, even if you're like as smart as people mm-hmm. in your high school, it would just be hard because you like look different, like you're smaller mm-hmm. and maybe different interests. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It sounds like she sped through all of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah I mean, I guess even if you don't yeah. like high school, it's one year or something. Yeah, it's over pretty soon when you're that smart. (laughs) So she's currently earning two degrees online in industrial engineering and systems engineering. So crazy. I know. And she also, sometime during this period, has written a book called, well, it's in Spanish, but the rough translation is Do Not Give Up. And she's been featured in Mexico's 100 Most Powerful Women in Mexico Forbes list. That's amazing. Uh, she's also she's gonna do great things. she is gonna do great things she's also in the process of learning english in the hopes of going to the university of arizona to study astrophysics mm-hmm. to become an astronaut so she's well on the way to making that totally. goal a reality yeah and yeah well, i just thought that was awesome it. and that yeah, she's, she's speeding great. along and we're gonna see great things from her in the future yeah. i have no doubts she's speeding along at the uh, speed of light. The speed of light. Okay, I don't know. Stupid. <laughs> Just whatever. She's great. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that's well. That's all the the content we have. But I wanted to quickly <laughs> m- mention that we do have a new um, website up and a new merch store. So for the holidays, we've got some sticker packs, some colored, really high quality mm-hmm. sticker packs of some of our favorite illustrations by Caitlin Friesen. So if you're looking for a stocking stuffer or Hanukkah gift, or you just want to buy yourself something, yeah, then go check that out. Yeah, they're so awesome. Yeah, I got them all in the mail yesterday and they look yeah. so good. They're like really yeah, high so quality, cool. vinyl, waterproof, durable. Yeah. The colors you could pop. put them on your laptop. You could put them on your water bottle, your notebook, your mother, etc. Your <laughs> don't put them on your mother. <laughs> she probably won't be super happy yeah, about maybe that. Maybe not. Your dad's bald head. <laughs> okay, yeah, do that. Yeah. He might like it. Yeah. So uh, as always, you know, thanks to Caitlin Friesen for all the art that went in. Yeah. Um, to those stickers and all the art that she's made. Thanks to Artichoke for mm-hmm. our th- awesome theme music. And as always, go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye.